grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Jo Sparrow. And this episode is part two of our chat with Colette Glazebrook. So if you haven't listened to part one released on the 3rd of November, then I highly recommend you hit pause and listen to it first. A quick recap about Colette. She was born in 1948 and adopted three days later. Colette has volunteered for Jigsaw Queensland on the management committee as a peer support worker, support group facilitator, and in many other roles for more than two decades. She published a book about her adoption experience called Facing the Fears in 2007. Colette is also the sister of Trevor Jordan, our current CEO and former president. Today, we pick up where Colette left off in the last episode, where she has just met with her first biological relative, her brother Trevor. Yeah, yeah. And I think Trevor and I, in those first meetings, we explored and created more scenarios than <laughs> you could imagine why someone that we're related to and you know we are them as well yeah. I'm very grateful for my genetic wiring but her life and her era was so different mm. both Trevor and I had been given the opportunity and education to to reach further with our potential than most most of our parents actually but in particular, if I concentrate on my mum, mum my mum had no chance. She was raised in an orphanage mm. and um, she was not given that guidance of people who wanted the very best for you. Mm. Um, and um, Trevor and I were. So, of course, we created all these different scenarios and it was so funny. And you know what? They're all still there because it's never been able to be verified or validated by our mum what was actually going on other than us being able to see what a horrific chance you know she did not get a good run in her life yeah and we could tell that she was strong Uh, she was a good woman no prisons no nothing just someone who never had the care and attention that we can give today yeah you know we can give it jigsaws there plus other organizations and I was thought the department provided wonderful support for me. But, of course, back in the day, no, nothing yeah. for them, nothing. And I had a question about that. We might skip ahead to it since we're there and we'll come back to some other questions I had about what you were just talking about. But um, 
uh, in recent years, I've discovered a clear generational trauma pattern in my own family tree. And I believe that made my eventual adoption much more likely and maybe even inevitable. And so I did want to ask you about the discoveries you made in your family history, because, um, you know, to, pl- to have 10 children and place most of those um, for adoption, there's, there's something happening. Did you make, I know you haven't got the answers, but you said your mum was raised in an orphanage. Um, so have you made any more discoveries? Yes, sadly, we've identified two generations of relinquishing babies. Um, all of the paperwork says um, unable to feed them. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, so if I go back, our my great-grandmother was the one who signed the adoption papers for my grandma. So my grandmother was the firstborn to my great-grandma. She had 10 children. So her eldest daughter was bringing home babies to be raised when she was still raising her own children. Yeah. And eventually she signed the papers for my mother to be placed for adoption. So my grandma had five babies and they were all placed for adoption except the last one. And the last one... I have met in my lifetime. How lucky am I? And her story is very similar to my second-born sister who wasn't adopted. They knew nothing of the rest of their family. It's um, They were very close uh, while Auntie Joan was alive because she understood Sharon having all this family arrive on her doorstep one day. Um, but... We can see a history of relinquishing babies, but you, this is those times they were cruel. Yeah. Our grandmother was operating the railway gates um, out there at Cleveland and to make money. So it's like I've gleaned a history of very strong women. I guess being a woman and a strong woman myself, and that's how my adoptive parents raised me to be strong and independent and good thinking. Um, I can see it came easy for me because of my history. Those mm. women made tough decisions. Tough. I love all women and I've got so much empathy for the decisions that are thrown and thrust upon women. So, you know, the instant I even heard about my mother, I instantly loved her, which you do unbeknownst, but I instantly was very loyal if anyone said anything negative about my birth mother, oh, 10 babies, oh, she must have been a prostitute or something. I could tell you I had to calm the farm and then just close them out or never speak to them again, to be honest. If they had no, if they couldn't look in my eyes and notice where I was at and how raw my emotions were to say nasty, what I called were just, flippant nasty comments Mm. when the truth was it couldn't be worse it was um, our mother was put into an orphanage she was in the same orphanage as her older brother Mm -hmm. and because of the day and it was a religious um, orphanage they chose not to tell those children they thought it was better that they were siblings that they would not be told their brother and sister oh my gosh in the same orphanage right so aged five this, this still I find difficult. At age five, my mother was placed for adoption. Five. I know 
I've had seven grandchildren. I know the different stages they go through and how strong they are at five about their identity. Mm -hmm. So she's placed for adoption. Her name is completely changed. Five months later, she sent back to the orphanage with the words adoption disrupted and their name was not changed back. There was no guardian as such to try and help the children gain their own history. So I doubt she remembered her initial name or anything like that. And, you know, her surname was Fear. So she was born Valeria Fear, hence the name of my first book, Facing the Fears. It, yeah. it's, it's a play on words. You do face yeah. your fears when you search. But my family history surname is Fear. Yeah. And so I don't believe our mother could recall or even had the, I don't know, the, the nous to know that she could have tried to find out more. So our beautiful government, that does try to protect children um, wasn't there for her. So she grew up using an assumed name. She didn't keep the surname of her adoptive family. And I never found out that she had an assumed name when she died. I would never have found her. That, like, my ability to find my mother or the government to find my mother was almost zero. And the only chance we had to find out anything about our history was when I met my second-born sister, Sharon, and she was able to fill in some gaps about our mum. So, um, and in my lifetime, can you believe, my mother's um, second-born after my mum, the child born before her, and number five, I've been able to stand in all their company where my mother couldn't. And in those moments, of course, you know, with my organisational skills, I was able to bring all that together. Um, and one of the aunties came from America to be part of that. And so these siblings had met for the first time in my company. I tell you, jaw-dropping. Uh, yeah. There are days, the days in your life that feed you somehow for many, yeah. many years. It's not just one meeting. It's a lifetime of change, you know. So now we have two generations of relinquishing children. But of the 10 children my mum had, none of us have been, had to do that. We've all been able to keep our children. We have, I've got 25 nieces and nephews. I've got way more. Uh, I'm a great auntie, I reckon, by now, probably 50 times. Um, it's just unbelievable, Yeah, you know, how life changes. Can I ask you, um, so you had, first of all, have you met all of your siblings now? And also we have a saying at Jigsaw that reunion has to go at the pace of the slowest person. Um, yeah. So how has the pace been with, because some people want to connect, some people don't, some people want more connection, some people don't. Like how has it played out for you and your family? I think we've got every perspective adoption within the siblings, if you know what I mean. Every mm -hmm. family is different. Um, and Trevor and I probably are the only two that are dead set curious and interested about adoption. Yeah. But, so we just love everybody else. They, yeah. they trust that we know anything they'd ever want to know. We've, I've 
given, we've given them pages and pages of information and material and I've bossed them around and made them all right to get um, identifying information and non-identifying information. And they're so beautiful. Here's at Christmas and I'm pushing all these forms out. I make them do everything. Um, I'm slowly pushing now for them to join the DNA trail. So <laughs> there's a part of me that hasn't changed as the bossy sister. But um, um, not everyone wanted to know. And um, it seems the girls were told of their adoption. Um, and the boys weren't. They yeah. were told later in life. Most of them told when one parent died. Mm-hmm. The other parent told them they were adopted. Uh, Trevor is one of those which we call late discovery adoption. Yeah. And that brings other issues, of course. Yeah, definitely. Myriad of issues. You know, adoption is so complex. It's not just easily talked about, is it, in just one sentence. But... Um, we had, uh, I had a full brother and he, he was very cautious. He was so cautious. It took him years to sort of adjust. And a sister, last sister I found, she had a bit of trauma in her adoptive family. Not cruelty, just drama, family mm-hmm. drama. And she didn't want to find another family. <laughs> she, One's enough I, to deal with. <laughs> and she probably took about four years. You know, we're all so, so much the same, though. Yeah. That we laugh. We're all close. Yeah. We all love each other. We all care about each other. We're all busy. Um, we're all productive. Um, the likenesses are enormous. But that... When you don't have the knowledge on how to do reunion with ease and grace, as I like to say, um, that's a disadvantage compared to someone, say, like Trevor and I, who seem to have a foot in the door or a willingness to um, follow someone with advice. So um, we all, once again, we did find two of our brothers had passed away, Um, one at 39, one at 52. Um, they both on their death certificates had the same thing. Um, they basically died in their sleep and the death certificates talk about a virus. So um, as Trevor used to say, whoa, that's a bit scary because uh, there's six boys in the family and four girls. Um, yeah. So he said, oh, my gosh, you know. Um, I did try to contact one of the boys adoptive parents they were older and they were very shattered by his death and I did my best because I I thought when I found out another brother had died of the same thing it might have eased some pain but of course it won't won't ease any pain yeah we all feel the pain yeah types of support did you have Colette um when you were searching and during reunion did you seek out anything or um I guess I'm asking what you found helpful and beneficial well I think Trevor and I started our own support group we kind of had the numbers really didn't you (laughs) and we did have one at a time come in for a while but I did have two brothers come in at once And you know how gracious I was when I first met Trevor and we met socially and 
in public and all that. I'll forget all that. <laughs> As it went on, I got a lot more relaxed and calm about introducing everyone to the family. Of course, it got worse for them because I came loaded with maps and geneograms and history and all of this sort of stuff. <laughs> so it just seemed to me that it was past going slow. And the feedback I got from the siblings later is that they were so grateful that someone had come looking for them mm-hmm. because they believed they wouldn't have. Yeah. And there wasn't a nasty story. We didn't have an axe murderer or, a, you know, anything in there that we all, I don't know about you, but, you know, it's still You don't know what you're going to get. No, when no. you're looking into the abyss, you don't know what kind of story you're going no. to find, which is no, scary. Yeah, it probably stopped some people. Thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's an anxiety yeah. in there. But I think I looked into their eyes and you could just tell they were hungry. Yeah. So... <laughs> Enough of the same DNA to allow me to relax a little bit more. So we are more of a, I think you could say laid back is a bit of the approach we all take to life. Mm. And therefore, it's made it very easy to uh, like each other, you know, which we still do. Yeah. Um, At the risk of sounding cliche, I've found adoption ebbs and flows in my life. And there's, it's always running there like a computer in the background. but sometimes it's rears its head and I feel enormously triggered or overwhelmed or anxious or, you know, something happens. Um, So I'm like 30 years into reunion and I rather naively thought sort of back in the beginning that once I met her, that would be it, everything would be good. No, it wasn't quite what I thought. So, you know, you give it a research and you start feeling better and you think, okay, that'll be good. No, it doesn't seem to matter how much I put in, you know, fed into myself. It didn't help. Um, met my father and still I'm like, okay, what have I got to do to fix this thing and have it be done and I want to put it away? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess what I have come to learn is that uh, the legacy of adoption is lifelong and set instead of trying to make it go away and think that it will never impact my life again is that I have worked on tools to use and recognizing when I'm getting triggered and recognizing when things are going um, not great and practicing self-care setting up boundaries those kinds of things and Mm. that gives me confidence in my own ability to survive whatever comes Mm. so I guess I was going to ask what your experience has been I must say well done you Um, because honestly that's that's all we can do and I would love to be able to tell you that soon to be 73 year old adoptee has mastered everything but I'm sorry to tell the truth no no that legacy legacy lingers and it's it's silly things it is how I can feel hurt I, I often feel like I've been, um, oh, it's not abandoned. It's, it's just a, like if I'm pushed away, it could be a flippant comment, for goodness sake, that's not in the midst of anything important. But I can feel hurt. Yeah. And the, the trick, the good news, the good news is if you put the practice in, and look, I have, Uh, studied psychology and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is my favorite and I've been practicing 
all those strategies to support myself and to learn more about myself. And instead of things needing a lot of practice, once I pick up on something, I'm very quick to also be able to put it to bed. Mm -hmm. So I don't have, if I've got it for three minutes, that feeling, I can quickly get myself out of it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I can feel the trigger, but I can manage it. And the word I use today is I just soothe myself. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, we've got a baby in the house. I've got lucky to have my seventh grandchild living with us. And she's only 10 months old. And soothing is what you do with babies. And so I've become very fond of that word soothe. Mm -hmm. And I think in my own way, I'm soothing the little baby or child within me who's had that trauma. And uh, she responds well. She seems to calm quickly, but I have been practising. But it costs nothing. You know, one of the joys I always say to people, the work you need to do is just you. You you have to do it. No one can do it for you. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) And you will benefit. You will. And I think these days adoption doesn't um, drive my emotions. and. I think anyone can do it if I can do it, you know, yeah. that's with practice. Yeah, that's with great practice. advice. Yeah. So um, I personally have gained, I think part of my healing journey has been stepping in and starting to volunteer and, and do work with Jigsaw, um, meeting other adopted people, um, giving back. Part of that, you know, is altruistic. A whole lot of it actually feeds back to me. It gives me a lot of um, healing and joy. Why were you motivated to step in and volunteer with Jigsaw Queensland? Well, actually, I'll blame Trevor, uh, brother Trevor, who was asked by the government to get involved in Jigsaw. And we hadn't uh, met that long before. But he said to me, Cole, come on, you've got some skills, just bring them in and we'll do some work in Jigsaw. And I think it was just natural and automatic that I trudge along. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, other than this year, this is the first year I haven't had an official position in Jigsaw, although I'm still on the management committee and I, I plan to be there until I fade away. But um, uh, it's... It's been, in the early days, we were not as uh, professionally equipped as we are today. Mm-hmm. And I used to go into the office and volunteer and answer the phones, do the paperwork, whatever, run the meetings, whatever. We were learning how to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I met my first birth mothers. Most of the volunteers in Jigsaw in those early days were birth mums. And today I'd say they're mostly adoptees. But the workers today uh, back then were mums. Mm-hmm. And through listening to them and them listening to me and me listening to them, taking the phone calls, doing debriefs after the phone calls, the debrief after a phone call was some of the most valuable work. I've had the most gentle ability to look at adoption by stepping closer and getting involved. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say there weren't scary times, you know, it's not always. Um, a breeze running support groups there's a you feel the responsibility but I've never been able to not do it it's like feel the fear and do it anyway Mm -hmm. Um, and 
it's been my choice to sort of encourage us to stop running an open group and bring more of an information group or some sort of delivery of information in because simply in the last 20 years our world has changed so much and so has our audience so it's nice to uh, come in and volunteer and do the work but gosh what people need today the essence of it has not changed they need someone who gets it who gets them who can listen to them and the rest the rest is up like we say self-determination in jigsaw you know we're not going to fix anything we're not going to advise anything but if you sit with other people who are in the same boat so to speak I think it's the most powerful thing you can do and I agree with you as a facilitator from I'm meant to be there to support everyone else but seriously they supported me and I guess the fact that I was there so often every week mm-hmm. for years and years, I see it as gentle. I don't know if that's a good word for everybody, but I like a learning process where it gets absorbed and yeah. it's a gentle process and therefore um, mixing with everyone. It was just so wonderful. Yeah. And I, I would recommend volunteering to anyone. I, I don't know that it has to be with Jigsaw. It's any organisation that you're attracted to. But definitely ringing Jigsaw and talking to people in there is definitely something that should be there for everyone. Because as you say, you get some days, something triggers you. You don't plan it, you know, to fall off the couch and feel like a mess. You don't, you don't plan that, you know. You don't plan to feel hurt on Thursday. <laughs> it's like, but because Jigsaw's there nine to five, the phone's there. You know, you can just pick up that goddamn phone and say, I don't know why I'm phoning. That's the truth. That's most of the phone calls started that way. Yeah. I don't know how to, um, why I'm calling. And a lot of people would cry the minute they picked up the phone. And, of course, yeah. we're trained to allow them to do that and say, take your time. Um, and I think I apply all of those things I learned how to help people to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take your time, like you say. You can't push yourself. And I think I did the right thing. At 49 was the right time for me to start looking. Yeah. And and it worked out well for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, uh, I certainly had a similar experience um, by attending the open support groups because I think you get to a point in your adoption experience when you're looking into things where you start wanting to explore other people's experiences and Certainly in those open support groups, I was able to talk to other mothers who had um, lost children to adoption and I could listen to them and talk to them and ask questions in a way I was never going to be comfortable talking to my own mother um, Mm. about. And so it really helped with my understanding and the relationships and Um, We're not currently running the open support groups as we have done in the past. We're moving to an open event series, which is open to anyone who's impacted by adoption. I might just take this opportunity to let people know that on the 20th of November, that's this year, 2021, um, we're going to be doing our first open support series event at the Springfield Central Library. And it's going to be a screening of the documentary Reckoning with a Primal Wound, which is about Uh, Nancy Verrier's landmark book, uh, The Primal Wound, Understanding the Adopted Child. And so that's an opportunity to not only watch a film, but then I think the magic happens in support environments. 
in the coffee break <laughs> you know, yes, afterwards yes. when you're mixing with other people and meeting other people, getting information in an informal way. Um, and so that's what that is about. And so you'll be able to meet lots of different people who've had lots of different adoption experiences. That's and good. And I will be there. I'm glad you're going to be there. I will be there. I would not miss it. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, and if anyone wants to find out more about that, just go to the Jigsaw Queensland um, website, www.jigsawqueensland.com. Scroll down um, that homepage and you'll see a little um, event information on there. Click on that and it'll show you where to go to RSVP. Um, but Colin, I wanted to say to you about those open support groups. Um, you were instrumental in my own search for my father because I was in a open support group that you facilitated once and I was probably 15 years into my reunion with my mother and I was curious about my father but I was very scared to reach out to him because I believed he wouldn't welcome the intrusion in his life and I knew I was not ready to be rejected by him um, so I was talking to you about that and you challenged me you said to me you know in this coffee break just informally uh, you know why aren't you interested in meeting him or why aren't you looking into it? And I explained and you said, you know, time can run out. And now having listened to your story, I understand why that really resonates mm. for you, that time can run out. It can be too late. It can be five months too late. Yep. Um, and yep. also that the man and the situation he was in then could be quite different to the man and situation he is now. Um, yeah. And so right after that, Probably almost immediately I went home and I started searching. I knew his name and I did a little drive by his house and mm. decided I wasn't ready to meet him yet. But five <laughs> years later, <laughs> I researched and I did. And for me, it was um, a positive thing to have done. So thank you for that um, because you were very Welcome. instrumental in my own story. And I guess um, if you had to write a list of important things that you have learned about the adoption experience, for anyone in the triad, what would it say? Um, I think actually one of the stories that has come about through all my helping of others has been the story of seeing um, adoption as your car yeah. and to ask the question of yourself, where are you? Where are you with this thing called adoption? and to identify and, you know, my way of approaching emotional things is often to bring in a bit of humour. And um, I would say, are you hanging on the tail, you know, the, the bumper bar and the car's racing along and you're waving in the background out of control? I said, oh, you know, can you glance and you've got your hand on the door and you're trying to get in and you can't get in. And it's still tearing along. And the next time you look, you know, you're in the back seat. And before long, you're actually in the front seat. Like, so the more you think about it or take control of your life, you find yourself at behind the wheel. And it was like, for me, it's to, to just, if you can see adoption is not you, you're separate to the adoption, but where are you in the adoption? And I think my choice was to live well with it. To, to sort of be able to see myself. You can't change anything, but I constantly remember that, that I have the ability, I'm lucky to have the ability to be able to take that wheel, use all the mechanics and get myself where I want to go. And I think that's sort of 
don't hold back. If you've got on your mind that you want to know more about who you are through your birth history and your biological family, that you must never give up. You must mm-hmm. just still do it. It doesn't mean you won't get some rejection or pushback, and that's okay, but don't give up. If it's important to you, it's worth doing, you know. And so for you, I guess, as you say, through my own lesson, don't wait. Don't be so well-mannered. I mean, I just think in my era, my age group, we were just well-mannered. Um, I didn't necessarily tow that line myself through my own life and my working career. But don't be well-mannered, you know, be serious and go get what it is. And if your son or daughter and you're a birth parent is pushing back a bit and you want to say happy birthday, Merry Christmas, oh, for goodness sake, get a beautiful card. There's not many much space to get into too much trouble and stay <laughs> in the present. Or a post-it a- note. <laughs> yeah, write, post-it note, write something to them. Do you know, hope you're having a good time. We're off on holiday. You know, don't pour your heart out. You know, you wouldn't do that on someone in the bus next door. You wouldn't, <laughs> well, I wouldn't pour my heart out and tell them my life story. So, you know, just, but if it's important, for goodness sakes, do it. Mm. Even if there is a little pushback, do it gracefully. I always, I remember, you know, Joe, at Jigsaw, we would be speaking with a birth parent, birth mum, usually, and we'd be speaking with the adoptee. They were two separate clients, and we're involved in bringing those two together in a format that's very respectful of both parties. But I would have them on the phone, and I, they're saying the same words to me. Oh, I don't want to interfere. I don't want to interrupt <laughs> their lives. I haven't come here to do this. I want to respect them. Both parties are saying exactly the same words there was even often a similarity in the voices Mm -hmm. um, that we as helpers that sort of brightened up our lives and those moments those moments have sort of probably strengthened me for the love of jigsaw of course but um, today everyone wants to go fast you know they want to talk on Facebook or do whatever I I'm like you just slow it down a bit Mm -hmm. Um, if that is if you are serious about wanting to have a longer-term relationship. If you just want information and you want to disappear, different story. But most mm. of us are really interested in finding out more. Mm. Um, and I will just quickly say we could do another session another time. But, you know, at 71, after Trevor had pressured me to do DNA, I was contacted by someone on my birth father's family line mm-hmm. 71 I can't believe it and within that story that is what I've discovered I have siblings who don't want to meet me either but you know it doesn't hurt me I'm not hurt I just understand yeah. it's sort of overwhelming them um, to have to change the memory of their father or for them a mother yeah that their father wasn't this I don't know perfect person in their life in their mind and um, but I have been fortunate enough to find a brother who's one year younger and his wife and children who have been absolutely amazing we are so alike I look like my father that was the only thing that was missing in my story of my mother Mm -hmm. I did not find a family you know I've found siblings and Mm -hmm. their families but now I've 
been fortunate enough to find my father's family, I found a functioning family who meet every day. And to my shock, I've discovered I am Albanian. My father's Albanian. My grandparents are Albanian. And that that country's culture is very tight with family. And my Albanian family have moved to Australia when uh, communism opened the doors Mm -hmm. and they were able to all come to Australia. And they have embraced my arrival. But unfortunately, I think they wanted me to join in that, even though I'm in Queensland, they wanted weekly contact or (laughs) I don't know, they do daily and maybe weekly seemed like a relaxing. I've I've had to relax them out to about monthly. (laughs) So we do a connect. But for me, it's okay that that they're all not up for it. But it's actually not okay for my brother who Mm. just lovingly and unconditionally embraced my arrival mm-hmm. um, in their lives so yeah big story big story that's right and I mean it just blows my mind how we can be so many years into it and you know now DNA has opened up a whole other realm oh, in adoption and so you're still meeting people and I mean I've had the same experience so um, you know recently through DNA tests getting um, in touch with two cousins and who filled in so much of the background that I wasn't able to get previously in my family. So, I mean, it's the gift that keeps giving or that (laughs) sometimes doesn't feel like a gift. (laughs) Look, I have written a second book because I wanted to quickly capture. um, My books are really just to be there for my own family and my perspective so the stories aren't lost. Um, I have sold plenty of the first book and had a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, very touched, touching for people who weren't affected by adoption. But when they speak to me, they'd often phone or speak after emailing. Um, there was a story of adoption somewhere mm-hmm. in their family. Um, yeah. It's very rare to find a family who hasn't got something happening. Yeah. Um, and they may just say, oh, oh my auntie, so-and-so gave away a baby. And, I mean, they just say it so casually and yet it's like part of their history they've just forgotten. Yeah. So you just hope when that person does come looking that they're open, Mm. you know, to welcome them in. Like I have been. um, At this late stage in life, I don't think it's easy. Um, And, of course, my father had passed away. So I didn't get to meet either parent, but I've been, I'm I'm definitely the girl with the story of siblings Mm. um, and the value of that comes from meeting siblings and belonging suddenly. Yeah. That feeling of belonging, you know, that you get or when you actually look alike and they all behave in the family, how you behave with your family, that was a joy. That was a surprise. So And sometimes that it's those step back um, relatives like, so, you know, sometimes the complexities between um, your parents and you can be such that those relationships can be a little fraught, but siblings or cousins, um, sometimes those are a little easier um, to manage. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I feel very blessed, I guess. But it's not over, is it? I I have to watch myself. I, I, I hear the voice telling me that I've got enough mm-hmm. and that I ought to be 
content with having more than most and unbelievable surprise about finding out about my father. But the truth is I'm not finished. I have to know more. And COVID's interrupted. I think it's actually done me a favour because my family are in Melbourne and I it's given me a couple of years <laughs> to be able to settle and calm and know what I am interested in. Mm. I need some more uh, further back in the generations and Albania's history is really very different to ours. And so if, I can't tell you how often I'll often lean back and just remind myself how lucky I was to not be raised by my father in Albania and or by my mum with as one of ten. It's like my life would have been so different. So I guess that's why I I can just sort of soothe myself and and be happy to just live as an adoptee. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's not very often these days I get the opportunity to share um my own story, uh, simply because I'm not in that position anymore. I'm not out in the business world or anything. And Trevor encouraged me right from the beginning. If I'm in a situation and it's it's correct to mention likely during my presentation, I did a lot of public speaking, that I was adopted because he said, you never know who's in the audience yeah. and they've never had anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I'm someone who seems approachable to others. So many a time in any sort of setting, business or to do with adoption, people have come forward and they start off and they look at me and they say, you know, I've never um, told this to anyone before. And I know what they're going to do. They're going to tell me they're adopted and tell me a bit about their story. So it's an honourable position to have um, and it's one that I'm still happy to talk about because it's yeah. it's um I am living well with it and I, I guess that's what I really want to say to people don't give up if you're perplexed by things just um trust that you can reach this position that I'm in myself because there's mm-hmm. so many younger people who are still struggling yeah. you know with their adoption issues yeah. or the people in their lives well, can people still um, purchase your book somewhere? Is there a link or something? Yes. I'll yes. get you to send me that because we'll put it up on our episode notes page so that um, if anyone's interested, they can click a link and, and purchase Facing the Fears. The thing is, too, um, I'm about to launch a new website and uh, they will be downloadable. The two books will be downloadable from oh, my new website. So, and uh, there'll be a button on there that welcomes um, donations to adoption, uh, to Jigsaw, sorry. Uh, I'm not going to charge for the PDFs. I just want donations to go to Jigsaw. So um, that should, by rights, be up and running not too long, I hope. Well, be sure to update us with that as well, and we'll put that up there too. Will do, will do. Yeah. Um, Colette, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We've got a cut it short we've gone quite a while and I just didn't want it to stop um I know I've learned a great deal myself from you and Trevor over the years and I'm so grateful for your years of dedication to supporting informing and advocating for people who are affected by adoption and I'm sure that your story and experience will be of great value to our listeners so thank you so much thank you
Best of luck to you and everyone too. Thank you. Meanwhile, uh, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 if you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Adoption.